I don't know about you, but you know, I was, I was loving underdogs, and yeah, I love my underdogs and everything until the NCAA tournament started, and now I'm hating Wichita State and Harvard. I mean, what's up with these guys? I love underdogs, except when they trash my bracket in the tournament. So uh, otherwise, uh, they're pretty cool. Um, underdog, underdog series, we're talking about uh, the runts of the litter. We're talking about the ones who don't stand a chance. Uh, we're talking about the poor. We're talking about the physically disabled. We're talking about those who are too young or who are too old. These are the underdogs. People, men and women, who when they put their faith in God, God raises them up and does things that perhaps surprise them, certainly surprise everyone around them. Someone told me this story the other day of this, uh, this group. He said, we were all having a, a, a barbecue in the backyard of a friend's house, and as the coals were, were dying down, the fire was dying down, uh, the host passed out these, these long uh, forks, roasting forks and marshmallows, and so we were going to start roasting marshmallows when at that point, a couple of fire engines raced down the street in front of the house. And, and so they were like, what's going on? So they all, all 12 of them ran out to the front yard, ran down the street where they saw these fire engines parked in front of one of the neighbor's houses that was in flames. And there the neighbors stood, speechless, watching their home burn to the ground the owners of that house looked at this group that arrived with disgust, and they wondered why they were looking at them with such disgust and irritation until they realized they were still holding on to those roasting forks with the marshmallows on the end. Have you ever said something or done something that you regretted? Of course you have. We have all done things that we needed to run through a filter to catch those, but they came out too hasty. I'm too quick with our words or with our actions, and we regret some of the things that we have done. We do that from time to time. I remember when I came back on furlough, we had been on the mission field for a number of years. I went back on furlough to Oklahoma Christian just to hang out and visit some of my old professors, and, and they were a lot older than when I graduated, but get, I went to see my very favorite professor. He was a history professor there at OC, sat down in his office. We were just catching up and talking about old times and stuff, and and I noticed this plaque on his wall. It was an interesting kind of plaque. It was kind of a, a bronze kind of plaque on, uh, with a wooden border around it. And it had the OC Bible building. In front of the Bible building, it had this, this guy uh, etched into the plaque that looked rather like Nikita Khrushchev. Now, you may not know who he is, but I'm sure the OC history professor did. He was this infamous Soviet dictator, right? And I said, what, what's, what's Nikita Khrushchev doing in front of the Bible building? And my old esteemed professor just said, that's my father. I was like, oh, awkward silence, awkward silence. Then he said, he died a few years ago. More awkward silence. And I just kept thinking, how do I get myself out of here? So many times I wish I had thought before I spoke. Well, we're going to talk about Peter this morning. The Apostle Peter is the, is the patron saint of everyone who sticks their foot in their mouth sometimes. He's the patron saint of those of us who do things and say things we wish we hadn't. And I don't know about you, but I am, I am grateful 
from people like Peter. I'm thankful for the underdogs of the Bible who, despite their weakness-stained lives, decided to make themselves available to God. And because of their faith, God did amazing things through them. And perhaps no character in the Bible uh, is a character I identify more with than this one, really. I mean, I think I see a, a little bit of myself in a lot of guys, but Peter, ah, I totally identify with this hayseed from Galilee. His thick country accent. He was a fisherman from a backwater province. He was ordinary. Ordinary. In every way. Um, He had a problem with being hasty. With being rash. He struggled with anger. He struggled with being reckless at times. And in spite of his massive personal weaknesses and failures, God used him. God turned him into the spokesman of the 12 apostles and into a very important leader of the early church. If Jesus, listen to me, if Jesus can take a guy like Peter and use him to change the world, then Jesus can take people like you and I, and change the city. Amen? Peter, standing on his own merits, very ordinary, very average. But with Jesus, he was remarkable. One time, Peter and and John, they're standing in front of this august body, you know, very unlike themselves, not cut out of the same cloth, a group of scholars and intellectuals and and very recognizable social elite in Jerusalem society. And there Peter was speaking before them. And the text says this in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, when they, the audience, saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Ordinary, regular, unschooled, but incredible. The only thing different about these guys, they had been with Jesus, and that astonished that group of people. Now, if you're familiar with Sports Center, or if not, I think you'll enjoy this list. I've come up this week with my very own not top 10 for Peter, all right? So we all have our highlight reel. We also have our not highlight reel. Unfortunately for Peter, even more than Sports Center on a Monday morning, his not top 10 was published in the best-selling book of all time, right? All, culture, all cultures, all time, his not top 10 list is there. Coming in at number 10, this is my ranking. You might change it up. Coming in number 10, Peter sinks into the cold waters of Galilee after trying to walk on the water like Jesus. Impressive that he tried, right? But Jesus tells him at that moment, Peter, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Number nine, Peter witnesses the miraculous transfiguration of Jesus. Jesus is glowing, and he's talking to these heroes, Elijah and Moses. And and Peter says, hey, let's build three shrines up here. It was a dumb idea. And I appreciate Luke 
who parenthetically writes in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, verse 33, he didn't know what he (laughs) was saying. Number eight, on the evening of the Last Supper, you remember this beautiful scene? Jesus is going around the circle of his best friends, and he is tenderly, humbly, gently, lovingly washing their feet. And Peter says, no, you will not wash my feet, Jesus. And then he gets rebuked by Jesus. By the way, this getting rebuked by Jesus and even some other people is pretty much a theme in Peter's life. He was one of the most rebuked people in the history of the world. Number number seven, speaking of rebukes, Peter tells Jesus off. Peter gets in Jesus' grill and tells him off for talking openly about his death. That is where Jesus famously says in Matthew 16, 23, get away from me, Satan. Number six, Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus has asked Peter to keep watch with him. Peter falls asleep. Jesus asks Peter, Peter, could you not keep watch with me for one hour? Peter promptly falls back asleep. Jesus wakes him up again. Peter then falls asleep again. Three times Peter falls asleep. And then, oh yeah, same context. Number five, when Jesus was being arrested, the Prince of Peace was being arrested, Peter is the one who pulled out his sword and sliced off the ear of the attache of the high priest. Got rebuked again for that one. Number four, Jesus changes Peter's name. It had been Simon, Simon. Peter changed his name from Simon to Peter, which means the rock. Think steady, think strong, think dependable. And just a few verses after changing his name to the rock, Peter does something very unrock like Matthew 26. Number two, while in Antioch, this may be the ugliest moment, honestly. While in Antioch, number two, Peter refuses to eat with the Gentile converts. I'm not saying they're not Christians. I'm not saying they're not saved. I'm just not going to hang out with those people. Galatians chapter 2, the apostle Paul. Jesus wasn't the only one who rebuked Peter. Galatians chapter 2, the apostle Paul cuts into Peter and says, what are you doing? You're supposed to be an example. These are God's elect. We are not going to make distinction between the Jews and the Gentiles. Coming in at number one. Peter disowned Jesus three times. According to Matthew chapter 26, verse 74, the third time he disowned Jesus, he cursed and swore. And you may have a debate as to whether or not he actually cursed, he actually swore. But I would remind you, Peter was a fisherman, right? Those of you who watch cable TV and who've watched Deadliest Catch or Wicked Tuna, these reality shows about real-life professional fishermen, understand That fishermen, well, they know how to drop a few choice words now and again. On the evening of the Last Supper, this is kind of the scene here. Jesus and his inner circle gathered together for some food and some fellowship and a final goodbye until after the resurrection. 
As they leave the upper room, they're walking down and then up. They're walking across the Kidron Valley up to this, this beautiful garden of olive trees, the Garden of Gethsemane. The Lord tells his closest friends that on that evening, on that very night, that every single one of them would abandon him. And you remember perhaps Peter's response. Peter said, not me. They may abandon you, but I will never abandon you. Jesus says, Peter, here's the truth of the matter. Before this night's up, you will disown me three times. And Peter still challenges Jesus. Peter still challenges Jesus. No, not me. I'd die before I would ever disown you. I don't know what Jesus, I imagine he just kind of shook his head and just kept walking. All right, Peter, whatever. Whatever. In the garden, Peter, James, and John napped while Jesus prayed all alone in the wee hours while Jesus was being arrested. Peter and a group of others warmed themselves outside of Caiaphas's house. Jesus is in there uh, being tried. His life hangs in the balance. Jesus, uh, Peter is kind of hanging out on the outside of this, of this trial where a group of people out in this cold, dark night, wee hours of the night, they're warming themselves by the fire. And in that flickering firelight, you remember that young servant girl, she, she makes Peter. She, she sees who he is and she's like, this guy's one of them. He's one of Jesus' disciples. No way. I don't even know him, Peter says. Later, another person makes the same observation. You're one of the disciples, he says, pointing to Peter. No, I'm not, Peter says. An hour later, the third person, this guy, is one of Jesus' followers. Luke chapter 22, verses 60 to 62. Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. At that very moment, the last word hardly off his lips, a rooster crowed. And just then, the master, off in the distance, there's Jesus. The master turned and looked at Peter. Peter remembered what the master had said to him. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and cried and cried, and cried. This was a failure of a different kind, of a different degree. This was a soul-crushing moment. He had disowned Jesus. Jesus, whom he loved more than anyone. Jesus, who he had put his faith and his future in. Jesus, who is everything to him, he had disowned him again, again, and again at the most critical moment in the life of his master, Jesus. And so he goes out, and he cries, and he cries, and he cries. Sometimes you cry, right? Sometimes you cry. He was crying, deeply sobbing. So how about you? How do you respond at a moment 
when you know you've blown it, when you know you made a choice that caused pain to people you love, how do you respond when you feel shame, when you feel remorse, when you feel regret, when you feel guilt? How do you respond to that? The Lord had pre-warned Peter, tonight, in the coming several hours, you will disown me. He had been warned. Listen to this warning. Luke chapter 22, 31 to 32. Jesus talking to Peter just a few hours before this betrayal. Listen to this. Simon, Simon. Jesus using his old name here. Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Sifted like wheat. I have not sifted wheat. But I know kind of what the sifting process is like. You got to take those stalks of wheat and you take a rock and you scrape all of the kernels off of the end of those stalks of wheat. You, you scrape them and then you pound it all on the ground. You pound everything so that the chaff and the wheat come apart. And then you toss it all up in the air and it free falls back down to the earth. Hopefully, if there's a, just a little bit of wind, the chaff is carried away and the heavier kernels of wheat will fall straight down. Sifting. If you are a kernel of wheat, sifting is a very violent process. It is not fun being scraped and crushed and thrown in the air. It's not. Jesus says, Satan has asked to sift you, Peter. Satan has put a bullseye on your back. He has asked for permission. Permission granted, he's going to sift you. And I'm praying for you. Some of you are being sifted now. Some of you have been through a time of sifting already. These are seasons of life. These aren't mere setbacks or irritations like 635 this morning. All right. Sifting are these seasons of gut-wrenching, agonizing pain. Emotional or physical or psychological regret, self-doubt, questioning, shame, depression. That's sifting. All of us. All of us will go through seasons of trial and difficulty. Amen? Yeah. Not all of us will be sifted, though. Not all of us will be sifted. And I pray that you don't have to go through a sifting. This level of intensity, of emotional struggle and pain. I pray that you don't. But more than that, I pray that if you do, that you hold on to Jesus. And that he's glorified through your endurance. Sent a message to one of our members this week. As I was reading about Peter, I thought about her. She has been going through a period of sifting for a couple of years now. 
physical pain, physical sickness that just won't go away. Lots of doctors, lots of procedures, just isn't getting better. And as so often happens, almost inevitably happens, the physical pain turns into emotional anguish, spiritual anguish. I thought about her. I sent her a message. She wrote me back. And I got to tell you, she is amazing because in all of this sifting, she continues to glorify Jesus. Man, she really ticks Satan off big time. And she knows it. And I love this about her. And I pray that this season will end in her life. But I praise God for the way she glorifies him through this. So Peter is singled out like Job and like a few others have been for sifting. Peter may have had a pretty impressive or unimpressive, if you will, top, not top 10 list in his life, may have made some big mistakes, was sifted by the devil. But here's what I want you to see in Peter. Peter never quits on God. I mean, he blows it big time, yes. But he never gives up hope in Jesus Christ, never decides that his sins outweigh the Savior's love for him. And he was a thorn in the devil's side. Better believe it. Satan had to be thinking, give a a super powerful spiritual demonic being a break. I mean, I have thrown everything at this guy. I've thrown everything but the kitchen sink at Peter. What is the deal? He just keeps getting up. He just keeps bouncing back. What's the deal with this guy? Every time I knock him out, every time I throw him down. I mean, look at what I've, anger issues, hasty statements, even betrayal. I have caused Peter to commit all of this. But over and over he gets up, he does himself off, and he keeps going. Over and over he accepts that the forgiveness of Jesus is greater than his failure. Over and over the power of Jesus is greater than his puniness, and he decides to believe that. He decides to walk in faith instead of finding his identity in his failure. Fast forward. Jesus has been crucified. We'll talk about this next week, Easter Sunday. Jesus crucified. Jesus buried. Um, some are saying that his, his body isn't in the grave anymore. In fact, Peter, in fact, saw that the, the grave was empty. Right? Peter has now gone back to Galilee. He's gone back to the only thing he knows, the only thing that he's counted on his whole life. He's gone back to fishing. Right? Gone back on his boat out there with James and John, the sons of thunder. And as they're out there fishing, once again, this stranger on the beach says, you guys having much luck? The three fellows in the boat say, no, we're not having any luck at all. This guy on the beach says, how about you try the other side of the boat? I mean, really? The other side of the boat? That's like four feet, you know? The other side, yeah, fishing's great over there. But why not? I've seen this work before. Back when Jesus first called Peter, this worked. So, hey, we'll try it. And the Gospel of John says they couldn't, 
I mean, there were just too many fish to even haul back into the boat. The Gospel of John says there were exactly 153 fish in the net. Now, you may be thinking, who's counting? Or some of my friends who have advanced degrees like to talk about some possible spiritual or religious or historical significance of the number 153, right? I think it's pretty simple. The Gospel of John was written by John, a fisherman. Fishermen keep count of their fish, right? Right? Especially when it's a record-setting day. Look, we beat the old record. 153. That's what that number's about. And you know, Peter, he recognizes Jesus now. He dives in the water. (laughs) He swims to the beach. Jesus ends up cooking breakfast for these three guys. And so they're eating breakfast on the side of the beach. And when they're full, this is the moment where Jesus is going to embrace and restore Peter. I mean, his head is hung low for all the betrayal. And Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yeah, I love you. Jesus says, well, feed my sheep. Jesus comes at him again. Peter, do, do you really love me? Peter's like, you know, I love you. Love you. Then Peter, feed my sheep. And then that third time, Peter, do you love me? The text says that Peter was irritated. You know everything. You're the Messiah. You know that I love you. And go feed my sheep. He had denied knowing Jesus three times. And now three times he's able to express his love for Jesus. Full restoration, new beginning, and a calling to a ministry of feeding Jesus' sheep, the brothers and sisters in Christ, the church of Jesus. So what was it about Peter? That's the question, really, because I want to know that. I want to know how do I hang on when my world is falling apart. What was it about Peter? What was it that kept him Moving forward. What was it that convinced him like an underdog like him could do great things? Really simple. The power of Christ. It's what kept him moving forward. It is Jesus Christ who forgives. It is Christ who saves. It is the power of Christ at work within us that changes us. Peter may not have had it all figured out. He may not have had it all together, but he had the most important thing down. The power to rise after a fall comes from Christ. Does it come from you? If you take, (laughs) 
If you take the Christ out of Christian, you're left with in. And Ian isn't going to help you very much. If you take the Christ out of Peter, he's a disaster. This guy's a hot mess. This guy's a complete train wreck without Jesus. Listen to these words he wrote to his first century friends and to us. Love these. In 2 Peter 1, verses 2 to 3, love this passage. May God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. By his divine power, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. Good stuff. By his divine power, Peter put his faith in Christ. And in his divine power. So are you passing through this season of sifting right now? The physical the emotional, the relational, the psychological, the spiritual pain seems too much to bear. By his divine power. Hold on. You, elderly person. You look in the mirror. You get up in the morning, you feel your body wasting away, you feel like time is running out here in this life. Do not be afraid. You will rise by his divine power. Parents of a rebellious child, filled with self-doubt, filled with second-guessing, filled with guilt. You can reach outside yourself. You can reach to Jesus. And you can hold on because of his divine power. You betrayed wife whose husband walked out on you Instead of listening to diminishment and anger, giving in to that, hold on to his divine power. If you're unemployed, you're out of a job. If you're lonely and starving for a relationship where somebody will love you, if you are an addict and trying to overcome a, 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 a physically destructive addiction in your life, walk by his strength. Walk in his divine power. That is the invitation a broken man named Peter extends to everyone who calls himself a follower of Jesus. Live not by your power. Live by his divine power. 